we're going to talk a little bit about dancing today. Any dancers? I'm not a dancer, and you should all be profoundly grateful for that. And nobody's a dancer. Nobody? Anybody a dancer when you were younger? Yeah. <laughs> what? Lily, you dance? Oh, oh, okay. Hiding in the back. I see how it is. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about dancing. Imagine a couple wants to take up dancing. Not only do they want to take it up, but they decide they want to compete. They want to go all out. Go big or go home. So they show up to one lesson, and they tell their teacher this. We, we want to dance. We want to compete at the national level. We want to be the best that there can be. Teacher says, okay, let's talk about rule number one. Again, I'm not a dancer, so I don't know if this is rule number one, but I know it's an important one. The teacher says, look, one of you has to lead, one of you has to follow. All right? The guy is going to lead, the lady has to follow. You have to get that down or the whole dance is going to be a mess. Okay? So they talk about that, they go over what is leading, what is following, the couple goes home. They say, you know, okay, this is the most important thing. I think we've got this. I think from here on out, we can do it on our own. And they talk about it, and they come up with a strategy. And they decide they've got this. And so a year later, they go to this national dance competition. They get out on the dance floor. And he grabs her by the hand and just drags her all over the floor. And she's just sort of, you know, flopping around like this. And he lets go over and goes, it does these beautiful dance moves. I won't try to imitate that. I can imitate the flopping part, not the dancing part. And, and then he comes back and she just sort of stands off to the side. And he comes back and grabs her and pulls her around the floor again. And they get done and they take their bow. And there's a few scattered, you know, what was that? And in the crowd, that teacher that they first met with is there. And comes up to them and says, hey, I, you know, I never saw you guys again. What happened? They said, well, you told us the most important thing. He leads. I follow. We've got it. We figured from there on out we were set as long as we got that down. So that's what we did. I, I just let him lead. And all I did was follow. And the instructor looks at them and says, that's not what that was. That was a mess. And the instructor says to the couple, you both have to know the steps. You both have to know the dance. Leading and following doesn't mean that one of you gets to just check out and not do anything. You're responsible for your part of the dance. You've got to own your own steps. And the couples kind of go, oh, you didn't tell us that part. And they failed as dancers. We're walking up to this vote next week on eldership. And I'm trying to use this brief sermon series to kind of prepare us. What does this mean? What is it going to mean to appoint spiritual leaders over the congregation? How are we going to vote for these guys? What qualities are we looking for? We've talked about some of those. We'll talk more about that next week. But today I want to talk a little bit more about us. Because I'm afraid, not afraid, cautious. I want to be cautious that as we move in this direction of appointing these spiritual leaders, the rest of us don't just check out. Well, they're the leaders. I just have to follow them. And we get dragged around by our hand. We need to own our own steps. We need to take seriously our own responsibility. Now, as I've said every Sunday, I know there are people here that maybe this isn't your church home. And so you're going, I don't really care about your leadership. Um, it's really not a big issue in my life right now. Maybe you're here and this is your church home and you're going, 
I don't really care about the leadership. It's not a big issue in your in my life right now. To which I would say, shame on you. It should be. But I get it. All right? I get it. Not everybody is sitting at home day in and day out thinking about this vote, thinking about how we're going to this. But as I've said all along, I believe that the way we do this vote, just like the way we do everything as a church, should be reflective of who God has called us to be in our individual lives. Therefore, how we do something as a church relates to how we do things as an individual. And so what we're trying to do is take these principles that, yes, they apply to this important vote for us as a church, but make sure that they're there and they're present in our own lives as well. Every day, you and I have to take ownership of our own steps. We have to get up every morning and say, what am I living for today? We don't get to get up and just say, well, you know, my boss, he's kind of a jerk, and it's a non-Christian environment. They don't really care about me, and I'm just there, punch in, punch out. I guess you do get to do that. You could do that if you want. But I think there's more to life. I think we can say, this is what I've been given responsibility over. Maybe I want this much. Maybe I want a whole lot less. But this is what I've responded. These are my steps that I've been given. I'm going to own those. And I'm going to do those steps for the glory of God. I'm going to live purposefully. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What does it look like to own our own steps as a church member, but just as a, a person, as a follower of Christ, as a human being here on this earth? Open up to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be flying around. I'll put a bunch of the scripture up, so if you can't find it, it's okay. But the first thing we need to look at, if we're going to own our own steps, and by that I mean not only kind of the dance, but how we're walking, how we're living in this life. We need to make sure we're following the right person. Now, right away, some people would say, well, I'm not going to follow anybody. I'm the captain of my own vessel. I'm the king of my ship. That's totally the wrong metaphor. I'm in charge. I don't follow anybody. But we do. We tend to take ideas from here and there, and we think we're so smart in how we put them together, but we're so influenced by so many different things that we don't even realize that we're influenced by them. And so we need to make sure that as we do that, we're following the right person, plus... I would say scripture clearly says God has made this world. God has made us. And he sent his son to die on the cross for us, to save us from our sins. And Christ reigns eternal over heaven and earth. This is his kingdom. We, this time of our lives and even all of the world's history is just a blip on the eternity of Christ's kingdom. And so if we're going to decide who's in charge and who we're following, we need to make sure we are following the right person. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Where are we fixing our eyes? Is it going to be on us? Our ideas? Our principles? Is it going to be on on things that 
are, are sold to us in this world as this is important. No, this is important. Hey, if you try this, it'll be happy. You'll be happy and, and your life will be fulfilling. Are we going to fix our eyes on Christ? First Peter chapter 2, verses 23 through 25 says this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to one or to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been made healed or you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Christ is our ultimate leader. Whatever we do as a church, that's always true. It has to be true. So everything we do as a church to put spiritual leadership in place, it has to point to Jesus Christ as our ultimate leader and as your ultimate leader. But then also in your day-to-day lives, as you choose to come under somebody else's authority, you have to constantly remind yourself, Christ is my ultimate leader. He is my Lord. He is my King. I will fix my eyes there. Christ is our shepherd and our overseer. Any other authority is under his authority. We have to keep our eyes on him. So Christ determines who we follow. And that's the first step, I guess, of owning our own steps, is who are we going to follow? And some people will say, like I said earlier, you don't have to follow anybody. But I just don't think that's true. You're going to follow somebody. The question is, are you going to do it intentionally or haphazardly? Is it going to be an accidental giving up of authority in your life to every idea, every doctrine that comes along? Or are you going to say, Jesus Christ is the Son of the Almighty living God. And he gave his life on the cross for me. I will follow him. I will trust him and not give that authority to anybody else in my life unless they are pointing me to Jesus Christ. Then we need to make sure we're following the right steps. How do we know as we follow Christ that we really are stepping in the right place, that we are really following the right way? How do we know we're not just coming together and saying, well, what do you want? What do you want? And we're making it up as we go along. And a lot of people accuse Christians of that. And quite frankly, sometimes it's very, very true. A lot of Christians, we're making it up as we go. A lot of churches are saying their own things, making things up as they go. What's important? What's not important? I want to take you to a verse we just heard. How ironic. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful. I know it in a different version. Let me make sure I get this right. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This right here. My Bible. Your Bible. This scripture. It's known as the inspired word of God. It is God-breathed. And it is given to us because we are following Christ. And these are the words of God, the words of Christ, the the message given to us from him. This is what determines how we walk as a church. This is what determines how we walk as Christians. And ultimately, this Bible has a lot to say about what's going to happen to the rest of the world as well. So are we going to make it up on our own or are we going to come together and say, no, we're going to all go to this. We're going to base our ideas, we're going to base our church, we're going to base our life on the very word of God. If we're going to follow the right steps, we've got to allow scripture to determine our steps. 
That's a big reason for us as we move to this eldership model of, of spiritual leadership in our church. The elders are tasked with studying scripture and applying it to the church and saying, this is how we are going to stay on track with scripture. As we evaluate these men, they've been put through a rigorous process of what do you believe about the essential elements of scripture? Do you understand them? Do you believe them? Do you trust them? Have you applied them to your life? Will you apply them to our church? We've asked those questions. All Scripture is God-breathed. We have to follow the right steps according to Scripture. And then we have to walk humbly. This one is easy to get missed. I think it's easy to overlook this one and say, oh, it's no big deal. As long as I'm doing the right things, what does it matter how I'm doing it? But if we're going to allow Scripture to dictate our steps, we need to recognize something. Scripture has a lot to say about humility. A lot. We're not going to look at all of it, okay? There is, I would submit, no concept in Scripture of an arrogant Christian. None. Certainly no concept of an arrogant Christian leader. None. Humility. People have asked me as, as we've gone through this eldership process, what, what do I look for in elders? And my number one answer is usually humility. Scripture, well, salvation, obviously, but humility. Why? Because to me, our humility tells me that we really understand the gospel. Because if you're arrogant, I guarantee you have not fully understood the gospel of Jesus Christ that tells you you are a wicked, wretched sinner, and it is only by the grace of God that you can be saved. Where's where's there a, a room for pride in that? If we're going to say, look at me, look at what I've done, all we can say is, I'm a sinner. And all we can say is look at what Christ has done. Ephesians 5.21. I believe our next sermon series is going to be through Ephesians. We'll probably start that in about three weeks. Uh, Well, next week we've got one more lesson or, or one more sermon on eldership right before the vote. And then I think we'll take the next sermon or the next uh, worship service after that for commissioning service, assuming the vote goes well. We need to just dedicate these men and and our church to God in this matter and really celebrate what God has done. But after that, I want to start in Ephesians. Because in Ephesians, as Paul does so often, he lays out the important aspects of the gospel. He, He digs into them and just rings out every nugget of truth and how important they are. And then he makes this transition to, now let's talk about how these all important doctrinal truths apply to your relationships. And he uses this phrase, submit to one another. And then he walks through this humble walking together in relationship. Humility determines how we step. It's easy as a Christian to say, well, I know the right things to do. I've got doctrine. I've got scripture. I can quote these scriptures and I can do the right things. And you better follow me because I know what to tell you to do. And I you know, the scary thing is that that kind of a leader in our culture has, has almost been put on a pedestal. Like, wow, they're so brave. <gasps> they say things I would never say. Well, maybe that's because nobody should say them. Or at least not say them that way. Oh, he's so, he's so bold. Maybe he's just arrogant. There's a place for boldness based on the very word of God. But it needs to be communicated humbly to say, look, I'm a sinner. I'm walking this path with you. So as we walk in our own lives, ask yourselves, are you looking to leadership that walks humbly? 
Okay, so that's how you determine leadership in your own life. But then look at your own life as well. Are you walking humbly? Are you walking in humility day to day, understanding who you are as a sinner and who you are in Christ so that he gets all the glory? Then we need to guard our steps. And I think up to this point, for the most part, a lot of you would say, yes, 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 yes. But there's an interesting facet of Scripture here that sometimes we miss. And again, this is one I'm worried as we move to this elder level of leadership. I'm worried that we're going to give up so much control. I'm worried that we're going to become lazy and just say, well, that's the elder's job to guard us as a church. And it is. That's a huge part of being an elder. But it's not just the elder's job. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. And again, I'll put it up here for you but it's a little small. Galatians chapter 1. In this letter to the church in Galatia, and actually a lot of the surrounding churches, Paul's writing because they're going off track. They're accepting some false teachings. And so he's writing this letter to them to say, hey, what's going on? It's kind of a wake-up call. And to say, let's come back to what's true. And he walks through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But listen to how he says this. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. He says you are responsible for holding on to the gospel of Jesus Christ and weighing what is taught against that. Go back up, if, if you have it open, go back up to Galatians 1.1. He starts his letters, and this is very common for Paul, so let's use this as an example. Paul, an apostle, sent not for men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So he kind of gives his own credentials first, and then he addresses the recipients and all the brothers and sisters with me. And then he's going to launch into this book, this letter, where he digs into all of the errors in their church and how to correct them. Now catch this, okay? This is the same if you go to Romans. It's addressed to the Christians. First and Second Corinthians, which are letters written to a really messed up church, it's addressed to the people in the church. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they're all addressed to the church as a whole. Here's the kicker. They're not addressed to the church leaders. They're addressed to the church people. Now follow me here for a second. In these letters, Paul digs into some of the most important and deep doctrine that we have. He digs into the person and the nature and the work of Jesus Christ. He digs into who we are as Christians. And then he says, okay, based on this, this is how you are to live. He's not addressing the leaders. I'm not saying he's ignoring them. But he's writing this letter to the people. Why? Because the people have to own their steps. They have to claim their responsibility to walk carefully in line with Jesus Christ. As a church... After we make this transition to elder leadership, 
We don't get to just check out and say, well, I don't know what's being taught. That's the elder's job. I don't know if it lines up with Scripture. That's the elder's job. As a person, you don't get to just check out and say, well, I show up at church. I do my time. I don't know what they're talking about. The guy just rambles on and on. I don't know what he's saying. You have to own that step and say, is this in line with Scripture? Is what he's saying, does it line up with Scripture? When you read a book and you get that popular author off the bestsellers list and they've got this new great secret of how to win at life and influence people and you're reading it going, oh, this is great. You have a responsibility to weigh it against God's word. You don't get to just say, well, it must be true because Oprah said it. It's got to be true. We have to own our own steps and take responsibility for it. We have to avoid simply following. When we simply follow, we check out mentally. And we follow popular ideas. We follow popular teachers. And we follow personal preference. And this is what steers churches off track time and time and time again. Are we just going to say, well, I want us as a church to be who I want us to be? I want things to go the way I want it to go because this is the way I like it. This is the way I've always done it. This is the way we've always done it. Are we going to follow it? Because, well, so-and-so, a big-name Christian author, says this is what you have to do, so this is what we're going to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of people that I love to read. John Piper, Jonathan Edwards. They're not all named John, but there's a few of them. There's some great, both living and dead. And I love reading them. But they are not Jesus Christ. And it is not the Word of God. So I have to own that and say, I need to take what this person's saying and weigh it against God's word. And we need to do the same. We need to own our steps and make sure that we are guarding our steps, taking responsibility for what we believe. And then we need to follow the trail guides. Two years ago, when we started talking about eldership as a church, and we introduced this concept of being elder-led. I talked about elders as trail guides. They're not people standing up in a balcony shouting down commands to the people on the path, telling them, man, you should have packed this. Boy, you better get rid of that. Wow, you better leave on this day. You better walk this way. And they're up in their nice, cozy, air-conditioned balcony giving instructions. Elders are trail guides. They're right down there in, in there with it, with us. They're on the path walking with us. They're, they're experiencing the extreme weather and the difficulty and the blood and the sweat and the tears with us. But we as followers also have to follow the trail guides. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be no benefit to you. This presumes everything we've talked about so far. That we acknowledge leadership in our lives that follow Christ, that know Scripture, that walk humbly, that help us to guard our doctrine. And then, as we're looking at the leadership and they're doing those things, then we say, I will follow you. Doesn't mean blindly. Doesn't mean unquestioningly. unquestioningly. Doesn't mean that we won't ever have conversations about what's going on. But it does say, you have studied God's Word and I will trust you. I will follow you based on what you're saying. Because it applies to my life and it is based on God's word. This is what leadership does. Good spiritual leadership. And maybe you're here today and you've been trying to do a lot of this stuff on your own. 
You know, there's been a big trend in Christianity over the past, I don't know, 20, 30 years, maybe longer, to say, I don't need the church, I can do it on my own. There's also a big trend, I would say, in our culture, in modern society, to say, I don't need anybody else telling me what to do, I'm going to do it on my own. And the irony is that the levels of loneliness and anxiety have increased, increased, increased. And along with them have been all these ways of trying to connect people, these social online things, to try to give people that reconnection that we've said that we don't need. And yet a lot of people have said it doesn't help. That's great. I can see the pictures of the kids and the grandkids and what's going on. But we're still missing that. Think about the genius of God. And when he called us into relationship with him, he also called us into relationship with each other. This is what the church is. We get to walk together. We get to listen to teachers who spend time studying the word of God. I love when I hear people come from our Sunday school classes and say, man, I cannot believe the level of teaching that goes on in this church. It is so awesome. I love that. Because some of you are going to really resonate with the way I speak and the way I think. Some of you, God bless you, you're not, and that's okay. But maybe Dan Lansbury, when he teaches, or or Dennis, when he's teaching in his, his, um, what are you teaching on? Job class, thank you. You're going to resonate with that, and that's great, because it's not all about me. If you're trying to do this on your own, you're really missing out. And we need to walk together. And follow the trail guides and say, hey, come on, guys, we're in this together. Let's follow Christ together. Every step in life is meaningful and important. We can't just check out and say, well, I'm I'm, I'm just going to phone it in. I'm just going to wake up, go through the steps today. It doesn't really matter. I'm not really the leader anyway, so who cares? You have responsibility for your own steps. And you need to own those steps. Helen Keller once said, I long to accomplish a great and noble task. But it is my chief duty to accomplish small tasks as if they were great and noble. I like that. That's somebody that says, I'm going to own my step. It might be a small step in the light of eternity, in the light of society, and in the light of of American history. It might be a small step in the light of my company, maybe even in the light of my church or my family. It might be a small step, but I'm going to own that step, and I'm going to do it because it's important, and I'm going to do it for the glory of God. Do we take proper ownership of our steps? Or are we, like Ephesians 4.14, so graphically portrays like infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming? There's the alternative. If we don't own our own steps according to the word of God, according to Christ's authority, we're going to be blown here and there. And what an awful picture of taking a baby, throwing that baby in a stormy sea and watching that baby get tossed back and forth. And to even take it farther to yell at the baby and go, man, why aren't you okay? And yet that's the way some of us are living. And we're getting tossed back and forth and back and forth. But we're so secure in saying, well, I'm not going to follow anybody. I've got this. But we don't. We need the good leadership of Jesus Christ. We need a church around us to help point us to Christ constantly. Good spiritual leadership doesn't kill our creativity. It gives us an environment that guides and equips us to dance, to live the way that God has created us to live, 
to use the gifts and the ability that God has given us for our good and his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we, each one of us, own our own steps. As a church, Father, as we move to this elder style of leadership, we don't want to be like people that are being dragged around the dance floor. That's not how you created this to work. We're not appointing these men to be elders so that the rest of us can just check out. If anything, we need to lean in and engage even more so that we can walk on this trail together. Father, may we continue to take seriously your word in our church and in our lives. May we take seriously the ultimate leadership of Jesus Christ. May these men as elders point us to Christ constantly. And may we as a congregation make sure that they are doing that because we're doing that in our own lives. And Father, if there's anybody here that's just been stumbling through life and wondering why there's not more to this, I pray that somehow, some way, these things that we're talking about would point that there is a way where those steps have meaning and purpose according to your will and your plan and are made possible by the fact that your son died to save us from our sins and rose from the grave promising eternal life to all who believe. And in that we can walk. In that we can run. In that we can even dance. And we give you all the glory, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.